Hello, my friends. Welcome. My name is Joe. You are listening to The Joe Martino Show. I want to talk to you today about something that is affecting many, many people. We're losing people to this every day, and I think we need to talk about it. 800,000 people a year succumb to this. And so today, we're going to talk about suicide. Let's kick it off. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but September is Suicide Prevention Month and Suicide Awareness Month. And so I want to spend some time today talking about some things that I think are happening in our society regarding suicide. And if you lost a loved one uh, to suicide, this may be a difficult episode for you to listen to. I completely understand if you decide you don't want to listen to it. I think it would be a very difficult episode to listen to. But I do want to get out the information to other people. I want to talk to the person that's living in the land in between, between where they're currently sitting and they're debating suicide. They're depressed. I want them to know that there is help. And I want to talk about some things that I think we as a society who don't struggle with depression that we need to be aware of. For such a long time, we didn't talk about suicide or depression. And now I'm going to start at a place where I think I'm going to get the most flack. I think we've gone too far the other way. I am afraid that we have... We've glorified suicide. Uh, books and TV shows like 13 Reasons Why. Uh, the, the TV show about the adult, uh, A Million Little Reasons, I think it's, it's called A Million Little Things. I actually just stopped recording and went and looked it up on Google. Uh, the main hero in that show commits suicide, and that spurs his friends onto these great lives. Let's just talk about this for a minute. First of all, one of the things that always amazes me is when I ask parents or ask kids, you know, do you think this show glorifies suicide? No, no, not at all. Well, here's the thing. It may not, right? Like, to be honest with you, my daughter uh, read 13 Reasons Why, and she's watched uh, the, the, the Netflix show. So it may not, like, blatantly glorify suicide or a million little things, but here's my question that you have to consider does it inadvertently do it? So maybe it doesn't do it intentionally. I, I, you know, I can't believe people sat around and they're like, hey, you know what we should, we should do? We should uh, glorify suicide. But if the main character commits suicide and that act causes his friends to now have a life that is what they've always wanted to really pursue living, to a depressed person who's afraid their life is wasted... Don't you think that might seem like, hey, if I did that, maybe my friends would then have a better life and, well, shoot, now I've got this thing going on uh, in my head where maybe the only way to have meaning is to commit suicide. And and I, I'm not saying that that what happens, but we do know, scientifically speaking, I don't know about the Million Little Things one, but I know that 13 Reasons Why suicide spiked after both seasons released and after the book got famous. Uh, what scientists call, it's the contagiousness of suicide. One of the things, I was just talking to a therapist 
a few weeks ago, and, and she said to me, I'm concerned because the cool thing used to be anxiety amongst teenagers. If you had anxiety in a therapist, you would talk about it, you would kind of brag about it, and there was a segment of the students who found worth and value and notoriety in having anxiety in a therapist. And now that's gone away and been replaced with, I'm thinking about suicide, I've tried suicide. And here's the scariest thing. Roughly about a third of all successful suicide attempts didn't intend to be successful. In other words, they didn't really want to die. I read recently from a widow uh, of someone who committed suicide that most men who commit suicide make the decision within 15 minutes of attempting it, and they change their mind within 15 minutes if you can delay them. Now, obviously, I didn't want to, like, I have all sorts of questions about that. What does it mean they make up their mind and change their mind? Because I want to know more, but I don't. you don't want to push in that situation. But I'm going to trust that she knows what she's talking about and what she's saying is accurate. And so we have to consider these things. Now, look, like I said, my daughter watched 13 Reasons Why, and we talked about it, and I got her feelings on it, and I shared with her my feelings about it and my concerns, and, and we talked about it. One of the things our society doesn't do well is it doesn't hold intention, feeling uh, feelings of empathy and sympathy for people, and at the same time saying, but that isn't the best choice. That's a bad choice. And so as we look at it, you know, there's, it's interesting to me how many parents get mad at me when I say, yes, unequivocally, I believe 13 Reasons Why created an increase in suicide attempts. Uh, the, like, here's what we know. Now, correlation isn't uh, causation. I get it. But there, uh, based on a study published in JAMA Psychiatry, uh, suicides went up the second after the second, episode, uh, second season of 13 Reasons uh, released, 13.3% increase. It's the second study. Uh, since this study came out, and I want to look at when, May 29th, of this year, there's been two more studies that have come out that have done that uh, or that have shown that suicides went up. And so so maybe it's just coincidence. Maybe it's blah, blah, blah. Come on, people. Let's be real. It's because one of the things that we have to consider is what about the at-risk population, the people who are already disenfranchised, the people who are already wondering, does my life actually matter? I think one of the biggest things that drives suicide, and I've dealt with a lot of people over my years that have been on the verge of it, that have attempted it, that have tried it, is they feel worthless. They feel like they don't have any meaning. And here's TV shows saying, oh, well, this character had meaning because she, because he committed suicide. And look, look, look what it did. It stopped bullying in the school. It, it mended relationships. It, it helped these people get their marriage back together. I'm obviously blending the plot lines. Uh, and we just told them, if you want to have meaning, commit suicide. I just think we've got to do better. And part of it is, is we don't understand depression. Uh, one of the things that, I mean, this is a common theme when I meet with uh, fellow counselors we don't understand depression. The truth is we don't understand of a lot of emotions. A lot of times I'll suggest to people, have you considered that you might be angry? And they're like, I'm not angry. I don't throw things through walls. Well, okay, there, there's, there's probably a much broader spectrum there than just 
uh, you know, I threw a thing through a wall, so I'm angry, or I didn't, so I'm not. And one of the things that I, I truly believe we are struggling with currently is the idea that we need to understand depression better. So much of how people respond with depression, we take to be differently. We look at it as like they're stuck up. Uh, I was talking to somebody uh, who, who was telling me about an interaction they had, and they're like, that person's just so stuck up. And they were talking, I was like, well, tell me more about it. And they were telling me, and I did say to them, have you ever considered that that person might just be anxious? Now, I happen to know that person, and I know that they're anxious. And so when they get around people, like like they, they do things that, yeah, they, they could come across as, as though that person is, is haughty, is, is stuck up. But really, he's just anxious, and he's borderline depressed most of the time. I've talked to people. In fact, I have an episode coming on this where they've been abused by a woman in their life and they've been told, no, you weren't. I, I talked to a guy who was raped when he was 16 by his teacher. And when he went to counseling here in my city, he was told, well, not my city, Lowell, but Grand Rapids. He was told, no, you weren't raped. Uh, I've talked to both women who went to a particular organization uh, it's similar to the YMCA and said, Hey, I think I'm an abuser because I do these things. And they were told, uh, Nope, you, you, uh, you're not an abuser. Women can't be abusers. Men who went to the same organization who said, I'm being abused by my wife and I need help for her and for me. No, you're not. And if that's happening, what do you think happens? People get depressed. And so they crawl into a bottle, they crawl into sports, they crawl into church uh, and they misuse it. They crawl into uh, drugs. They crawl into work. They crawl into their kids' sports. Or they just withdraw. And as they withdraw, people think that, like, people get offended. And so then it starts to feed it because somebody got offended. So now they're not reaching out anymore because I reached out and he withdrew or she withdrew. And the cycle begins and now they're in depression and then, and they're primed. Let's just be honest. They're primed for a show like 13 reasons why, or a million things to come on. And right there, that's the ticket to their meaning. Now, now I'll grant you lack of meaning is only one segment of, of people who attempt suicide that they, they do it. Or that's only one facet. That's probably a better way to put it. It's only one facet. There's, it's a complicated issue. There is a lot of, of uh, distress around it. There's a lot of conversation going on right now about is it a choice? Is it not a choice? I literally just had someone from the media query me uh, two weeks ago about you know trying to write a piece uh, how suicide is not a choice. And I, I, I'm not there. I'm not willing to go that far. I, I think it's, I think it might be a misguided choice, but, um, you, you know, there's a lot of conversation going on around it. And so we have to, we have to accept the fact that how we're talking about it in society, while it's better than not talking about it, I'm not sure we're doing a whole lot better currently because we need to offer hope. I want to talk about a few things regarding kids and depression right now. This is kind of what sparked my idea in this. My wife put this up uh, on her private Facebook. Here are some things to consider. We lose over 800,000 people per year to suicide. 800,000. It is the leading cause of death for men under 50. It's the, I believe, now this is not, I'm not reading this right now, so I'm not sure. I believe I read somewhere this year that it's the number one cause of death for men between the ages 
of 35 and 50. And it's like more than double, which that would be supported by the number there under 50, which I am reading, but it's more than doubled whatever number two is. It's the 10th biggest cause of death worldwide. I just read uh, an article this morning about uh, suicide rates amongst people being trafficked uh, or about people who have amongst people who have been trafficked and even those who have been rescued from it. Two of the leading causes, the leading factors that contribute to suicide is isolation and feeling like a burden. And, and that second part is the part about the meaning that I talk a lot about. Because if you have meaning, you're not a burden. If you're bringing meaning to yourself and to the people you love, you're not a burden. But if you're not, then you feel like a burden. If a person is speaking up when they're suicidal, that is an attention-seeking. And I think this, again, our, our society's inability to recognize that, yes, there are some people that do this, and, yes, that doesn't mean that all of them do that. Like, there are people who uh, do suicidal things just to atten- seek attention. But even them, how much pain do you have to be in to, to attempt suicide or to talk about suicide in order to, to, to get attention? Like, what's the level of pain that you have to be in to be there? Even if it's 10%. Like, I don't want to exclude those 10% of people from the pain that they're in. One of the biggest things in our society is we think having mental health issues makes you weak. It amazes me. I've said it a million times. I'll probably say it a million more. If somebody says to me, man, my dent, my tooth is bugging me. Oh, you should go to this dentist we know in, in Saranac. She's old school, but she's been amazing for our kids and our family. My eyes, man, you know, I'm getting older. And my eyes just aren't what they are. Dude, you know who you should go see? You should go see this guy in the YMCA Plaza right here. In fact, his daughter, uh, one of the doctors in there is my neighbor's daughter. Ask for her. She's awesome. I think I just gave you guys a bang there. I hit the mic. I apologize. We can say those things all day long and it's no big deal. But if somebody's like, man, my marriage is falling apart. Oh, dude, you should go see this person. They're an amazing therapist. I don't need a therapist. Or, you know what? You, have you considered that maybe you're bipolar? I'm not bipolar. Okay, so if you can't see, I can say, have you considered maybe that you need help from an eye doctor because we're diagnosing symptoms? But if you're acting in a way that is is outside of, of, of healthy and, and it's causing detriment to your life and somebody says, hey, have you considered this? And part of this is we just haven't been able to remove the stigma from mental health therapy in part because there are people, here's the other side of it, there are people who do mental health things for attention. But again, and I can't stress this enough, how much pain do you have to be in to be there? There's all sorts of of people that ponder suicide that we don't think about. What about new moms? You know what you need to be depressed? You need to feel like what you're doing isn't, doesn't matter and you need to lose sleep. Welcome to motherhood. And then you've got the whole society. Like we don't actually offer people help. We just tell them, oh, it's just so hard. It's just so hard. Okay, but what are we doing to alleviate that? What are we doing to help that? Show up. And this is where I think one of the things we have to talk about in our society is we've become more isolated. Years ago, the book Bowling Alone was written. You need to read it. If you haven't read it, read it. In fact, I'm going to put it on my reread list for the rest of this year. Get it done before January 1. Bowling Alone. We're becoming a society that is more and more isolated. 
and I'm not anti-social media, you know this, but one of the things that we're able to do now is we can isolate ourselves and just put up our all-star moments on social media. And, and as our non-all-star moments gather in our lives, we feel like we're losing meaning or we're struggling or people are going to judge us. And the truth is, we too, so we're isolating ourselves more. And here's the second truth. We are a much more judgmental society. It's insane to me how many people talk about tolerance until they meet somebody who votes for the guy opposite of them. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. It's stupid. I can't be friends with them. They voted for Trump. Then you are a shallow person. I can't be friends with them. They voted for Hillary. Then you're a shallow person. Period. Well, Trump's going to ruin the world. Okay, do you know how many politicians they've said that about? Hillary is going to ruin the world. Okay, then you go change the world. Go do something. But don't isolate people because they have different views than you. That's dumb. All right, I got to calm down. But here's a third factor to consider while I calm down. We don't deal well with people who are passionate about things like that. We just, we just isolate them. And so if someone's fired up, we don't know what to do with them, so we ignore them. And one of the leading ways that we know somebody's at risk for suicide is they're isolated. They're depressed and they're isolated. Let's talk about teens for a minute. This is something my wife's very passionate about. Uh, because, And I'm just going to quote her here. I want to specifically talk about teens a moment because people are often caught off guard and never knew their teen was depressed. Here are some signs your teen is depressed. And this is going to be on my YouTube channel. I'm going to blog this. We're going to try and put this everywhere that we can. Uh, last week, I, I, I went on my Instagram story and I talked about men being abused. We're going to make that a focus. But we're going to make this a focus too. Uh, so here are some signs that your teen is depressed, according to my wife, the wizard, who is also a licensed therapist in the state of Michigan and currently on a four-week waiting list. So if you disagree with her, you're going to need to have more than just your opinion. They sleep all the time. They isolate themselves. They normally have friends, but they isolate themselves from everyone else. And even their friends, I'm adding this, they're involved, but they're not. They seem angry more days than they're not. They don't eat much or they overeat. They pour themselves into vices or gaming systems. It's a false relationship. It's one of the reasons I get so fired up when people are like, oh my goodness, the vices are ruining the world. There's just everywhere we go. I have a guy that I went to college with who's a nice guy. He is literally spending his entire adult life in service of other people. And I don't know if you remember this. There was a picture of seven girls, I think from the University of Texas or something, who were on their phones at a baseball game, and the announcers made some sort of snide remark. And that 30-second clip was put on Facebook. Well, then my friend is like, this is what our society is coming to, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And he went on some diatribe about how devices are ruining America. Here's what's interesting. The girls actually ended up fighting back, and they were like, you know what? There was nothing even going on in the, on the game at the time. They were switching people out, blah, blah, blah. But here's my question, and I, I said this. It's not the device. What we just did is we just judged seven people that we don't know. We just literally made value judgments on seven people that we don't know. And we wonder why people isolate themselves. And even if we, we are right and, and they are, they're too far into that device. Could it be that we don't have deep, real relationships anymore because everybody has to be happy? 
we can't disagree. Okay, I'm getting off the list. But everybody has to be happy that we can't disagree. We have to only talk about positive things. Holding each other accountable anymore, what does that mean? Well, gaming devices give you a false relationship. In fact, a lot lot of them, they'll have relationships with people that they don't know that they're messaging all the time. Right, so that's the last step there. I'm going to read them again. They sleep all the time. They isolate themselves. She writes, they normally have friends, but isolate themselves from everyone else. They seem angry more days than they're not. They don't eat much. They pour themselves in devices or gaming systems. It's a false relationship. They stay in their room all the time to avoid relationships. Have you ever considered your teen that is avoiding you is because they don't want to get involved in a relationship? They engage in reckless behaviors such as self-harming. Or other things, reckless activities, sexual activities. They're sensitive. I I would add a little word here. She was writing this on her personal Facebook page. But they're overly sensitive to criticism from others. And here's the kicker. Teachers and parents often think they're rebellious or just don't care. The truth is they don't because they're depressed. In other words, like, oh, they're just being rebellious. Teenagers today, when I was a kid. Hey, Nummy, maybe you ought to consider that kid's depressed. Maybe you ought to consider that the fact that they didn't turn in their homework assignment to you isn't even in the top 500 things that are concerning them today. Like, where am I going to eat tonight? Am I going to have clean clothes for tomorrow? I wonder if my dad's coming home drunk. I wonder what my mom's new boyfriend's going to do. Is she going to abuse me? Is he going to abuse me? Excuse me. Like, just, just step back from your power trip for a minute. And look at teenagers as humans who don't know how to express emotions that are literally pushing them to kill themselves. Your mess is not your kid's concern. Well, my kid threatened to go live with their mother. Well, you know what, dude? Maybe you shouldn't have moved to Colorado. Just throw that out there. Well, I'm not going to argue with Samantha. Maybe you should learn to hear Samantha and not worry about arguing with her. A, a story that literally I, I wanted to go out, obviously not literally, although it is in Webster's that I can use it that way now. Figuratively, I wanted to go out to my fire pit and set my own jeans on fire while I was wearing them. I heard a story this weekend about a young lady that was put on Zoloft, which is a really scary drug, especially for teenagers, was put on Zoloft because she's anxious all the time. And, and the person who was telling the story, you know, asked them about maybe putting her into therapy. And the parents said, no, we're her counselors. What? Like, that's just stupid. It's just dumb. Because you get caught in an anxiety loop, you end up in a depressive loop. And if you're in a depressive loop, you're at risk for suicide. And here's the thing. We know depression is treatable. Robin Williams, depressed, suicide. And, and like, I don't know if, I don't know. I feel like when he died, his death was kind of like the, the bell that was rung that people were like, oh, hey, we should talk about this. And I know that there are people listening right now that your kids are depressed and you don't know what to do. You're depressed and you don't know what to do. I'm telling you, get into therapy. Start there. Joe, I've been in therapy and it isn't working. Then get a new therapist. Because... I've got to be careful how I say this because there's actually a, a line in my code of ethics that says I can't disparage other therapists. But there are therapists in this field who aren't good at it. 
There are people that got into counseling just to fix their own mess or because they needed a paycheck and, and that's why they're in it and they're not good at it. And that's okay. There's other people who are really good at it. They're just not good at anxiety and depression. And that's okay too. If it isn't working and you've been at it for six, seven months, and I, I'd want to know what it isn't working means. Like, does that mean you're, 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 you've not, you know, you felt better and then you relapsed or you haven't felt anything. If you haven't felt any movement, then, then find a different therapist. Talk to your therapist about finding a different therapist. Most of them, the vast majority of them, will want you to go somewhere else to get help or they'll want to change their tactics because they want to help you. Even the ones who aren't very good at it, who, who got in it to fix their own stuff, they want to help you. And that it really is a small percentage, but it's a big enough percentage that you could be seeing one of them. I had to see a therapist one time because I got knocked out at work and, and they made you go if something violent happened. She was awful. I wouldn't go back to her. I don't refer to her. From a consumer's point of view, it was an awful experience. So start with therapy. If you're faith-based and somebody's telling you you need a freedom appointment or you need more of Jesus, run away from them. Put on your track shoes and run away from them. It's not about more Jesus. It's about learning to, to deal with strategies to deal with your thought processes. Don't, don't go engage. Now look, I, we go to church. We're a faith-based family. I'm, I'm not against that, but I'm telling you, you don't do that. Uh, if you've got a toothache, if you need knee surgery, if, if there's something going on, uh, inside your body, you're not like, like I, you know, if, if I have high blood pressure, going and having some appointment isn't, uh, that isn't medically based, isn't going to help me. I need strategies on how to eat differently Maybe I need medicine. I don't actually have high blood pressure. So no concerns there. But start with talk therapy. And maybe your therapist will decide that medicine's appropriate for you in, coordin in coordination with your PCP. And you can, you can start down that path. I want to tell you, you do have meaning. You bring something to this world that no one else does. And you don't have to die so, so that there's meaning. You don't. If you're living with someone who's depressed, it's not your fault. You didn't do it. Unless you've been mean to them or traumatized them in some way. And if you did, I have really good news. You can make that right. You can apologize. You can get therapy. And you can change how you live. But there are people that they're living with people who are depressed. and like, I didn't know. It's okay. It's not your fault. You do have to be on the lookout. You encourage them to have healthy choices, right? We know some things. Here's some things we know that help depression. Good sleep, eight hours of sleep helps depression. Regular movement. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go to the gym and throw weights around. I'm going to go to the gym in a little bit here. And I purposely try to pick my time to go to the gym when all of the really big dudes aren't there because like you got to wait in line and you know, they're all, and that's fine. I actually don't mind it. I don't care one way or the other, but I know there are people that don't like it. By the way, a lot of gyms, if you can get there between 10 and 12 in the morning, which I happen to be self-employed, so I can, uh, if, if you're not that way, I get it that you can't, but exercise, you can walk, just walk three times a week for 45 minutes, just regular movement. So good sleep, good nutrition, exercise, get involved with a group of people, people who go to church regularly live longer. Now, a lot of my church friends are like, see, see, God is good for you, which obviously I've described that, but people who go to church tend to live longer than people who don't. One of the things that the studies tend to find is because people who don't tend to not 
have friends that they interact with as much. And that's actually changing poor millennials. And I don't know that I'd say poor millennials because I probably do it too. But millennials get a lot of grief. But one of the things that they're doing well is they're interacting with each other regularly. That's one of the things that they're doing well. They're doing, and I say one of the things like that because there are other things that they're doing well, but that is certainly one of them. And so regular interaction, good sleep, good nutrition, regular movement, regular interaction with other people is a way to combat depression. If you're overweight and and you're caught in this cycle of I'm overweight and I'm depressed because I'm overweight, so I stress eat, so then I gain more weight and then I'm more depressed, so I stress eat, you got to break that, man. You've got to step up and say, okay, I'm going to do one thing this week. Maybe I'm going to walk. Maybe I'm going to make an appointment with a nutritionist if my insurance covers that. Maybe I'm going to join some Facebook groups on on how to eat better. And I'm not even going to post anything. I'm just going to read what other people say. I want to go back to the people who are living with depressed people for a minute. Or you love someone who's depressed. You got to take what they say serious. If they're like, hey, I'm thinking about committing suicide, you got to ask some questions. First of all, they're never going to say, well, rarely are they going to say, I'm thinking about committing suicide. They're going to say things like, I wonder if the world wouldn't be a better place without me. So ask them point blank, are you thinking of killing yourself? Are you thinking of hurting yourself? They might say things like, well, you would be better off without me. Are you thinking about killing yourself? Are you thinking about harming yourself? If they say yes, you got to get them to a hospital. Talk, talk, talk to them about going to a hospital. Try to get them to go there willingly. If somebody tells you they're not doing okay, just listen. One of the biggest things happens, remember, it's isolation. And so if you can just listen to people, they feel less isolated. Hey, how are you doing? Not so good. Oh, man, tell me more about that or what's going on. And then just listen and don't try to minimize it. I was talking to somebody uh, two weeks ago who said that somebody said to him six months after his wife died, wait, you're still thinking about that? Like, holy cow, yeah, right? So that person, I'm going to just assume, I'm, I'm, I'm hoping, I, I'm trying to just believe that that person had good intentions and they just didn't execute them well. Just listen to them. Just listen. Listen to what they have to say. Don't offer advice. Don't try to make it better. Don't be like, well, hey, you know, at least it isn't this. Just listen. Just listen. And then the last group of people that I want to talk to today, because I am running out of time, is the person that you've lost someone to suicide. It's not your fault. One of the the scariest things that I remember learning is that a lot of people who commit suicide, there's just no signs. In fact, they seem to be doing better. They seem to improve uh, because they've made up their mind. They've made their decision and they're just putting their life in order. And and again, I believe it's because now they've found meaning And as they have found meaning, they're now moving in a dangerous way towards suicide. And so it's not your fault. And you're going to need therapy too, because you're, you are, you have undergone severe trauma, severe trauma. And that doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you a victim. It just means that you've gone through severe trauma. I was on a widow's support group page, uh, doing some research for this episode, um, and one of the one of the memes that was on the page was uh, how they feel, how widows feel. And a lot of the women on that page were like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, when somebody says you're stronger than I am, you know, you say, oh, thank you. But you want to go cry and sob. Or you do go cry and sob. You pull a hat over your face. or I don't remember exactly how it went. But essentially, it was a juxtaposition between how people perceive them and how they feel. 
if that's you, crying doesn't make you weak. Sobbing doesn't make you weak. You've lost something. It was taken from you by the person that you loved. And you have to navigate those waters and they are painful. I can't imagine. But it's not on you. What they did is on them. And and yeah, we have to face that. So what do we do if we're depressed? You start with those things I talked about. Good nutrition, good sleep, get involved with other people, uh, circles of friends, etc. Uh, get talk therapy. To that end, our office is going to be offering free depression screenings sometime in the next two weeks. Uh, basically, it'd be about 15 minutes of your life. You come in, you fill out some paperwork, you take a short test, and we can help you assess with some scientific accuracy how depressed you are. And then we can talk to you about options for moving forward if you are. Because we want to help you. There is hope. But unfortunately, a person who is depressed, one of the things that soothes that depression is isolation. So if you have a friend that you think is depressed, go knock on their door. Show up at their house. I know it's 2019 and we don't do that. I don't care. Go knock on their door. Show up at their house. Drag them to the place, to, to, to somewhere, and say, let's just talk. Go get coffee. Drive them to their therapy appointment. Whatever you got to do. There is hope. But I'm telling you, if you know more than four people, let me back up. If you know more than three people, you know people that are depressed. Because that makes four, right? And we can divide that into 25%, which would be you'd be 25%. They, each person would be 25%. Some research suggests that up to 25% of people will struggle with severe depression at some point in their life. 16.1 million people last time I looked. You know somebody who's depressed. If it's you, you do matter. I want you to know that you matter. There is hope. You can get treatment and you don't have to struggle with it for the rest of your life. And you don't have to die for there to be meaning. Call our office, 616-481-3784. If you live in the great state of Michigan, 616-481-3784. You don't even have to live near one of our offices. We can do telehealth with you, which means you never have to leave your computer. So if you can't find counseling near you and you want to try somebody at our office, 616-481-3784, facebook.com forward slash Joe Martino Counseling. Hear me, please. There is hope. There is help. We can help you. We want to help you. If it wasn't for HIPAA, I could introduce you to scores of people who have struggled with depression, have gotten therapy, and it helped. It helped. It's a complicated problem. I'm not going to be able to explain it and solve it all in 35 minutes, but it is something you can get help for. I believe in you. I don't even know you, and I believe in you because you are made for some reason you were put on this earth for some reason that only you can do. Maybe you have regrets. Maybe you did something in the past that created regrets for you. It's, it's, I get it. I have plenty of regrets. But you can overcome them. Maybe you're stuck in a problem-solving loop and you don't know how to get out of it. We can help, please. Or a therapist where you live can help. So much to say in so little time. I am going to end it there. Uh, I do want to let you know, joemartino.com forward slash podcast. You can catch all the podcast episodes there. If you go to joemartino.com, you can catch my YouTube channel. 
Uh, I'm blogging one release a week on different issues if you like to read that type of thing. Pretty short reads, three to eight minutes, uh, which in our society can seem like an eternity. We're going to talk about this some more, but there is hope. There is help. Don't, don't, don't take your life. Don't listen to that voice. Call today. If you don't want to talk to one of us, if you don't want to talk to somebody local, that's fine. Call a, call a suicide prevention line. Uh, you can reach out to... Uh, um, there's actually places you can text. I just saw one. Let me look it up here really quickly. Yeah, you can text 741. You can text START to 741-741. It's the crisis hotline. So it's 741-741. This National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. You can also go to suicidepreventionlifeline.org. I believe in you. I hope for you. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.